0: The faithfulness in the fruit list can be described as steadfastness, constancy, or allegiance. It is carefulness in keeping what we are entrusted with. It is the conviction that the scriptures accurately reflect reality. Biblical faithfulness requires belief in what the Bible says about God, his existence, his works, and his character. Faithfulness is the result of the Spirit working in us. But the Spirit is also our seal of faithfulness. He is our witness to God's promise that if we accept the truth about God, He will save us. Faithfulness is believing that God is who He says He is and continuing in that belief despite the vagarities of life. Functionally, that means we trust what God says in the Bible and do what he says. This means that we do not necessarily believe what the world or our own eyes tell us.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. And last week I told you that winter's almost here and you booed me, so I'm not going to tell you that. But, uh, well, we've been having a good summer. It's been really good. The rain stopped and the sun shines and our hearts are full of joy. Amen? Amen? That's good to hear. Well, this morning we were looking at the seventh item on the fruit list. And remember we said this is a checklist to help us to see where we're at. And that if anything was missing in that checklist, that that was a red flag, that we need to stop whatever we're doing and we need to examine our lives to see what is wrong? What happened? Why are we not experiencing all of the fruit? And remember, I said it was, it was a package deal. It's, it's all or nothing. So if something's missing in the list, that means that, that everything is missing. And so this morning, uh, I want to remind you that faithfulness is a, a term that we use to describe someone who has a, a consistent faith in God. Let me say that again. Faithfulness is a term that we use to describe someone who has a consistent faith in God. And this faith in God is a faith in in the way that he works in our lives and in his word. You got that? So we have faith in God and faith in his word, the way that he works, and we trust that, that whatever happens... It's for the glory of God, and God knows all about it. Now, sometimes we feel that God doesn't know what's going on because we're going through a hard time. Uh, Anybody like that this morning? You've gone through a hard time, you say, where's God? Is he there? And let me just remind you that, uh, and this is not just Alan Duncalf saying this, it's not just my opinion, but this is what the word of God says. In fact, we're reminded again and again, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So this is the promise of God to his children, and those who are faithful are people who understand that and believe that and trust that about God. And so you've heard me give you my little definition of what faith is, and uh, let's see if you know what it is. Faith is? Uh, You heard the others, and then you copied them. Okay, so faith is believing God and doing what he says. So here's, uh, let me just share this with you. He, this is Abraham, and this is his, this is his journey. He, he lived in Ur, and at the age of 75, God calls him out of Ur. Now, did you hear that? I've, I've just turned 60, and I'm thinking of retirement. Uh, if I were Abraham, I would have another 15 years to go before I started doing what God wanted me to do. Think about it like that. So at age 75, he leaves her, goes up to Haran, goes down to Egypt, and then back into Canaan, which would be, of course, the land that God had promised to him. And uh, you'll remember that God told Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations and that he should look into the sky uh, at all the stars. And so we have our stars on today, and uh, what a good idea. And... Abraham is told by God to look at the stars and to realize that he would be the offspring, that he would have the offspring that would look like the multitude of stars in the sky. Now, uh, if it's if it, 75 years of age to leave Ur, but that's nothing. God promises Abraham and Sarah that, well, Abraham particularly, that he is going to be the father of, of many Uh, of many, many multitudes of people. But uh, here he is, he's coming up to 100 years of age, and he's got no kids yet. I'm 60 years old. The thought of having another child at this age just about gives me a nervous breakdown. Like, I want to have grandkids, I really do, but I want to be able to send them home at the end of the night. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, so here, here is Abraham, almost hundred years old, and with his wife, who is—and this is even funnier—is uh, is ninety. Uh, she she conceives, and and they have a child. Now his name is Isaac, and there's a reason they called him Isaac. Isaac means laughter, and it's because when when Sarah was told <laughs> that she was going to have a baby at ninety, she just laughed. Do you not see the humor in this, anybody? <laughs> and some of you women are, th- are thinking of the horror of this <laughs> at age 90. Wow. What an incredible story. Well, folks, I want you to see something about Abraham and Sarah. They are included in the great hall of fame, uh, of faith, pardon me, in Hebrews chapter 11. They're listed there because these are people of faith. These are people who are faith. Full. And so Abraham obeys God, and just as Abraham is uh, is about to give up, you, you remember what happens. He he thinks, well, maybe maybe I got to take matters into my own hands. I, I got I'm going to have to use my wife's con- uh, my wife's servant, so she's like a concubine, and he has a baby with Hagar, but that's not God's will. This is not what God wants. How many know that faithfulness means you don't take matters into your own hands? Everybody understands that? It means you totally trust God, that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Very, very important that you understand this. If you don't understand this, you don't understand faith. True faith, true faithfulness says, I'm going to believe God. So when Isaac's born, God says to Abraham, as if Abraham hasn't been tested enough, says, Abraham, now that Isaac is grown up, I'd like you to sacrifice him to me. Say what? That's right, you heard me. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, Abraham, look at his trust in God, his faithfulness. He trusts God so much, he thinks to himself, well, if I kill my son and I sacrifice him, God's able to resurrect him. And hey, I'm the man. I'm 100 years old. I gave birth. I have... I conceived a child with my wife. I can do it again. He's trusting God. So Abraham's about to slaughter his son, and God stops him. God stops him from doing this great deed. This, this act of Abraham, his willingness to, to sacrifice his son, is a shadow of what's to come in the New Testament. God is telegraphing to us from thousands of years ago his intention of giving his own son on behalf of his children. Now think about that for a moment. God was testing Abraham to see if Abraham was a man that trusted God, and he did. And so Abraham arrives in Canaan, and God says to Abraham, this is going to be the land that you'll be able to call your very own. But he, he is not able to see the fulfillment of that promise in his lifetime. And you know the story. It takes, it takes some generations before that actually happens. But nevertheless, Abraham trusts the Lord. He believes God. He is faithful to God. Now I just want the Spirit of God to really speak to your heart right now, to enable you to trust God, that even though you don't see what what you, what you understand is God's promise to you, that doesn't mean that God's not keeping his promise. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they, they are included in Genesis or Hebrews 11 because of their faithfulness to God. Now, they could have turned around and said, you know what, I, I, we're done with this. We're, we're going back to Ur. But they never did. Why? Because of their faith in God. They could have told everyone, hey, we made a mistake. but they remained faithful to God. They could have gotten angry at God, and, and they could have abandoned him and say, obviously, this is a false religion. It didn't work. We didn't get what we wanted. We, we understood that God was going to make us rich, and we didn't get rich the way we thought we would be. No, they had faith in God, regardless of the circumstances. They could have accused God of not telling the truth, of lying. But they put their faith in God. Now, I want you to hear this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. It says, these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, er, they could have gone back but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That's why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this morning, we're talking about faithfulness in this great list of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law. Now, Let's just quickly take a look at at this word faithfulness. Faithfulness, actually the Greek word is pistis, which means faith. And in fact, we see this word uh, at least used in this way at least 36 times in the New Testament. You remember when, when, when various individuals came to Christ to be healed, Jesus said every time, your pistis, that is your faith, has made you whole. Your, your pistis is what has produced the result that you were praying for, that you were looking for. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that those of us who are faithful, we have this pistis, this faith in God. We trust him that God is going to take care of us. So, very quickly, a great definition of faithfulness is a belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence in Christ, springing from faith. So, this is what... Those of us who are faithful, those of us who are producing the fruit of the spirit, are going to—we we produce this trust in God. I trust Him, no matter what. I trust Him with my children. I trust Him with my life. I trust my wife to God. I, I trust my my health to God. I trust everything to Him. It's also a, a loyal allegiance to Him. A dedication, commitment, devotion. It's trust, being trustworthy and utterly dependable. Now, when we talk about faithfulness, we can talk about how it refers not just to our faithfulness to God, but also our faithfulness to one another. But I, I don't have time this morning to get into what it looks like to be faithful to one another, but I think most of us understand what that means. Now, we have never lived in such evil days not not i haven 't anyways in my generation we 've never seen anything as evil as we 're seeing it today. We live in a culture now that encourages uh, unfaithfulness we, we, we watch TV shows, TV programs movies uh, there 's all kinds of, of TV series that that glorifies and and shows the the fun or the joy of being unfaithful, unfaithful to to our country, unfaithful to our children, unfaithful to our our wife, our husband. This is something that's celebrated in our in our day and age. Uh, I don't need to get into that this morning because here's what I know is that those of us who are faithful to God will automatically be faithful to one another. In fact, the evidence that you are faithful to God is that you are faithful to one another. This is why Jesus, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he says the second commandment, and we we think of it as the second, but Jesus is saying it's equally important, is that we love one another. So you could easily substitute the word love for the word faithful. Think about that. We are faithful to God, and the evidence that we're faithful to God is that we're faithful to one another. So let's go back then to uh, just focusing now on this faithfulness to God. So the attitude, this attitude of faithfulness is in direct contrast to our sinful nature, which is to be faithless. We, we are not trustworthy. We are not utterly dependable. We are not a people who are devoted or committed or dedicated to anything. We don't have any loyal allegiance to God or to one another. That's, what, that's the opposite of faithfulness. And we don't believe in, in this idea, this notion of putting our confidence or trust in God. That's, that's the sinful nature. That's the human nature that you and I were born with. So when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about uh, a people, that's us, who are willing to suffer persecution and even death for Christ's sake. All in favor, say aye. Hold on a minute here, Pastor, not so quick. Did you say that I would be prepared to even be willing to suffer persecution for the sake of Christ? Yes, that's, that's what faithfulness implies. I will do anything for Jesus. Now that shouldn't surprise you, because here, when it comes right down to it, if my, if my wife is in danger, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put my life at risk, even if it means I'm gonna die. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? If my child is in danger, if my t- child, for whatever reason, is, is, falls out of my arms and into the lake, guess where I'm going? See ya. <laughs> no, I am gonna jump right in, aren't I? <laughs> I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to scoop up that little one, even if it puts my own life at risk. Suddenly, I don't care about myself. And this is what we're talking about, this faithfulness to God, where you say, I don't care about myself. My God comes first. Amen. And one of the reasons I love doing youth ministry is because young Christians, youthful Christians, they are the ones who, who really get this. They, it, part of it's because their brains aren't fully developed yet. <laughs> But they are so in love with Jesus. They're so excited for God. And you've heard me say this before, that if I, if I ask the youth ministry, who wants to volunteer to go be a martyr for Jesus? It's like, pick me, pick me. That's the excitement. That's the devotion. That's the, the joy of being faithful to God. So, let us quickly look at this verse in 2 Thessalonians 1.4. It says, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians. He's boasting about the church in Thessalonica because of their perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. So some of us are experiencing some persecutions, and maybe, maybe you have experienced persecutions in your family because of your, your strict stance and trust in God and, and trust in the Word of God, and I'm not, I'm not turning to the left or to the right. I'm doing whatever the Word of God says. Does anybody experience any persecution in that regard? Just wave at me. This time, I'm, I'm, I really, I'm not just fooling around. I really want to know if you know what I'm talking about. And you got maybe your friends, your workmates, they think you're a, a lunatic because you're a Christian. Well, look, there's nothing new under the sun. You think, well, I'm the only one. This is the first time this has ever happened in the history of the church. No. Jesus promised that there would be persecution for, for anyone, for all of us who actually put our faith in Christ and remain faithful to him. And that's what was happening back in Paul's day, and it's still happening today. So we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we see people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, uh, Abraham, and Sarah. Abel's understanding of God made his sacrifice real and authentic, because Abel knew God. And by the way, he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. I I would recommend that at the end of the service you read Hebrews chapter 11, but there is Abel. Giving a sacrifice to God that pleases God, not like Cain, who didn't, didn't sacrifice anything to God, at least not what God wanted. There's Enoch. He understood that God rewards those who seek Him and trust him in all their hearts, with all their hearts. There's Noah who trusted God's word about the coming judgment, as well as God's promise to save his family. You can read about that in Genesis six to nine. There's Abraham and Sarah who believed against all evidence that they would give, uh, give birth to a child. That's Genesis 21, verses 1 to 34. There's Rahab. Remember Rahab? Remember, the, she was the, the prostitute. Can you imagine being known as Rahab the prostitute? Wow, that's how she's known for uh, for all of time. But I'll tell you what she's known for in the Scripture, is that she, she trusted God. And when the children of Israel came to march around Jericho, remember she, she hid the spies when they came to spy out Jericho? And she said, well, you got to save me. And they said, well, we will. Just drop a red cord from your window, and we'll make sure that, that the people connected to that red cord are spared. She trusted God. She did that, and she was spared. There's Gideon. Mustard seed faith, he was able to to overwhelm an entire army. You can read about that. Judges 6 to 7. Then there's Isaac, and there's Jacob, and then there's Joseph, Moses' parents. And there's Moses himself. There's the Israelites. They went Hebrews 11 says they went through the Red Sea by faith, and then they marched around Jericho by faith. There's, there's Gideon, Barak, there's Samson, Jephthah, there's David, Samuel, all the prophets. There's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Hebrews 11:33, it says that these men shut the mouths of lions and quench the flames of fire. Those of us who trust God, God does mighty, mighty great things through us. One of the things that we always comment on is that Cross Church is not a massive church, it's not a mega church, but it's, it's a big church in the sense of what we're able to do for the glory of God. Think about that. It's because of the faithfulness of the members of this church, the faithfulness of the people who say this church is my church and I'm on board to do what God wants to do through this church. So we understand now what faithfulness is. We have a better idea of it. And so we return to faithfulness. Now, I need to remind everybody that faithfulness, having faith in God, is something that comes by the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to remind you of this because this is something that, that it's really hard for us to get it through our head. It's not something that you can produce on your own. Does everybody understand that? So you say, yeah, 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 I'm going to be more like Abraham. I'm going to be more like Daniel. I'm going to dare to be a Daniel. I'm, I'm gonna... But, but the fact is you can't do this on your own. Well, then, Pastor John, what's the point in talking about this? Why are, why are, we, why are we going through this? Because, and this is something I've been saying for the last few weeks, because what we have to do is we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is constantly at work in us, prompting us and nudging us in the direction that God wants us to go. Does everybody understand that? So this is not just a religion that we hold to, this Christianity. It's it's not just a religion, we just go through the rituals and all the things you have to do and... Because we're Christians. No, 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 no. This is a relationship with God where God is constantly at work in the life of the believer, day by day and moment by moment. And this is why the Apostle Paul warns us not to quench the Holy Spirit in our lives and not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Is when we refuse to listen to the promptings of the Spirit in our lives. And he's constantly constantly at work in us. You say, Pastor can you give me an example? Sure. As a child, when I became a Christian, if I went through a store, I saw a candy bar that looked good to me, I think, I'd like to have this. And as long as no one's looking, I could have it. But the prompting of the Holy Spirit in me says, no, don't do that. And so where I'm where I would like to take that. Now the Holy Spirit's prompting me not to. Now that's an extreme example. It's a big example, right? But the fact is, is that God is constantly prompting you day by day and moment by moment. Even in the way that you interact in traffic. You can blow your top, you can get angry. You'll notice that I talk about this sort of thing a lot. <laughs> I wonder Why? hey, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a work in progress, and God's, God's he's, he's refining me really well, he's doing a good job. Are you gonna cut him off, are you gonna let him in? He cut to the front of the line, and when he comes up to your turn, are you gonna let him in, or are you gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about, don't sit there and pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. In the grocery store, you're going to let that person ahead of you. You've got, you got 150 things in your basket. The lady behind you has got four things in her arms. And you're going to say, <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to let her in. I, I always do that. I always, I always let people in. And I'm always so shocked when I, if I come to the till and someone's ahead of me and I've got four things and they got 150 things. I, Would you mind if I go ahead? I'm always shocked when they say no. And they do. Yeah, really. I'll say it's superstar, but don't tell anybody I told you. that. <laughs> no, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's human nature. We're self-centered. But those who are driven by the Holy Spirit, those who are faithful, we are, we are now functioning, we are acting like Christ. Faithfulness Faith in God, trust in God, trust in his directives, trust in his commands, trust in what he wants us to do is, is who we are, it's what we do. Now, here's a question for you, and now you're gonna maybe get mad at me for meddling. But Pastor Allen, you're, just, you're a little cutting a little too close to the bone. Based on the way that you function from day to day, at your work site, or in your family? What would the people in your family say about you? What would the people at work say about you? Would they say, this person really is a person who has faith? This is a person who really has the faith, a faith in God. This person is truly different because of the faith that he or she has. What would they say about you? Well, Peter, in... In his letters, in fact, all the epistles are extremely pragmatic, in the sense that they teach us what to do and how to live our lives. And so Peter, summing up his instructions to the believers in 2 Peter 3:18, he says, "But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Do you know, it was—you've heard me say this before, but it was—it was well after I bi- graduated from Bible college. I'd been in the ministry for about four years. And suddenly, I came across this verse afresh and anew. I've read it many times, but I only focus on the last half of that verse where it says, but grow It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, yeah, I, I know Jesus. I have a good idea of who he is. The problem is I had no idea what it meant to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you and I are going to produce this kind of faithfulness in our lives, this is going to happen By the grace of God, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in you. When I talk about growing in grace, this happens as we avail ourselves, as we take hold of this grace that is available to us. And this is why we tell you how to avail yourself of God's grace. And so the first thing I want to point out to you if, you are going to be, if you're going to be a man or a woman of faith, is you first of all have to, yes, you have to grow in Christ. You have to grow in the knowledge of Christ. The way Jesus put it in John 15 is that you need to abide in the vine. You need to be following Jesus. You need to be imitating Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. It means that you are focused on Christ. It means you're keeping your eyes on Christ. It means that you're studying Christ. You are looking to know Christ in his word. It means that you are constantly in communion with him. This is all, of course, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what's more, and it's really critical that you get this, is that you need to understand what God is doing in your life every day. God is in the process of conforming you to the image of Christ. Now, you and I were born as image bearers. That is, we were born in the image of God. The problem is, is that sin has entered in and has twisted us. It's twisted who we are. And we have this sin nature that, that makes us look a little bit like God, but not, but not completely. In fact... We are marred by sin. And so what has to happen is that we need to be born again and then reshaped and restored to the image of God. And the way Paul puts it is like this. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things were together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You need to understand what God is doing in your life. So look at: there's gonna be good things that are gonna happen, and there's gonna be some difficult things that are gonna happen. There's gonna be some real struggles in your life. There's gonna be some real pain and suffering. How many know that this world is not our home? This is what I just read to you from Hebrews 11. Abraham and Sarah and Enoch and Abel, they understood this world's not my home. I'm an alien here. I don't belong here. I'm here for a little while. But thanks be to God, I'm going to be with him forever and forever. But before we get there, we need to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God wants to restore the image of God in us. And the only way that that can be done is if we understand what that is. And that is that we look like Jesus. When we talk like Jesus, we act like Jesus. Are we going to be perfect like Jesus? Not, Not in this life. But there is a day when we will rise again from the dead and we will be glorified and we will be made like Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what we're looking forward to. But in the meantime, those of us who are faithful, we're growing in Christ and we are rejoicing in the fact that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. These, These bogus TV preachers, I'm sick to death of them, them pro- pro- proclaiming and suggesting to you that what God really wants for you is to be rich, and to never be sick, and to be, and to be healthy, and to have all the things you ever wanted, that all your prayers will be answered. In fact, you're gonna sh- they're going to set up clinics to teach you how you can get what you want. It's not biblical, people. And you need to understand What the truth is, and the truth is, is that God is working all things together to conform you to the image of his son Christ. If you understand this and you surrender to this, then you will find yourself living a faithful life. But wait, there's more. It doesn't stop there. The Lord is working in us right now, using good and bad experiences, our victories, our struggles to conform us to the image of Christ. But here's the other thing. So you're growing in your knowledge of Christ, but you need to grow in grace. So we're growing in our knowledge of Christ, but that's only half the equation. The other half of this equation, according to Peter, is that we grow in grace. Now, many preachers will tell you all the things you're not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't, 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 don't. But what I'm here today to do is to tell you what to do in order for you to grow in grace. Biblical faithfulness requires belief in what the Bible says about God, about his existence, about his works and his character. And this faithfulness to God that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, it it compels you and encourages you to keep on going and don't give up. How many people have felt like giving up? Sure, I talk to people every week, all the time. People that talk, tell, tell their stories, share their testimony about how they wanted to give up. Oh, like, I just was in a terrible state. I just wanted to have a drink and just, just just, kill the pain and the suffering. With Holy Spirit's at work saying, uh-uh, that's not how to do it. Don't give in. Continue in your faithfulness and the way that you're going to be faithful is, of course, by growing in grace. So what do we look, how do we know how to do this? Well, let's look to the early church. And here's what we read. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, and to prayer, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was the great work of God in the early church. So what, what do we see here about, about growing in grace? Well, actually, there's two things that happen, The or, or three, if you want to put it like that. There's the individual is growing in grace, the church itself is growing in grace, and God is extending his grace to the unbeliever. Watch this. That word in verse 42 where it says the believers devoted themselves, that word devoted is, uh, is in Greek the word persevering. So this is really what we're doing. We talked about, about faithfulness. We talked about, uh, about devotion and commitment That's what we're talking about. The believers devoted themselves. You and I must devote ourselves. What are we devoting ourselves to? Well, to the study of the Scripture, the apostles teaching the study of Scripture. We're devoting ourselves to fellowship with other believers. This is why we we say that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to be in a small group. We say small group, but you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a Bible study, you can call it a fellowship group, but you need to be in fellowship with other believers who share your values, that believe what you believe, and that will encourage you and hold you accountable and even spur you on to love and good deeds, as it says in Hebrews. And what's more, they broke bread together, they had communion, by the way, that word, uh, breaking bread together, word communion is the word koinonia. You may have heard that before. Koinonia is used at least 19 times, and it refers to fellowship, and it refers to joint participation, working together. It, it, it identifies that ideal, that ideal bond that, that, that Christ prayed about in John chapter 17, where he prayed that the believers would love one another. Folks, I want you to see something here. This, this, all of this is happening in the context of being together. When you come to church on Sunday, and, and it, they did go to church here. They, they broke the bread together. They prayed together. And then they're in the temple together. And they're being generous with one another. I want you to see that all of this happens together. And so where it's nice to be able to stay home in your pajamas and have a cup of coffee and watch church on YouTube... You know, under, under severe conditions, under emergency conditions, okay. But folks, our job as Christians is to meet together. We have to meet together. Because this is where we discover and enjoy the means of God's grace. It's meeting together that enables us to be found faithful. Faithful. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. One of the things that, that I, I believed when I was younger is that, that my faith was my own private, personal business, and I had to go alone and be alone with God and meet with Him alone and pray with Him alone, and, and, and it was all about just God working in me. Well, there's, a, there's an element of truth to that, but that's not the true story. The way that God grows grace in us. My friend Doris is here this morning. That's Dennis's mom, Dennis Weeb's mom. And I mean, she, she said, I, I, I don't care about the virus. <laughs> I don't care about anything. I don't care about getting a cold, getting sick. I want to be with God's people. I want to be in the house of the Lord. I want to fellowship with God's people. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Do you have that kind of faith? No. You and I need to understand something today that our growth and our development is not something that you can say is a private matter. It's something that happens together. We grow in the knowledge of Christ together, we grow in grace together. And we hold each other accountable not trying to be fault finders or trying to, trying to see the sin in one another. That's, not, that's what we're talking about. But we're here to encourage each other so that we will grow in grace. And so when you come to church on Sunday, what you don't know is hearing the preaching of the word is a way that you're going to receive God's grace. Did you know that? Is that a yes or a no? Yes. Yeah. All right. That's how you receive. It's seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ is a way of receiving God's grace. Praying together is a way of receiving God's grace. And what does this grace do? It enables us to be faithful. So you need to be in church on Sunday. You need to be serving in church on Sunday. You need to be breaking bread with one another. You need to be uh, enjoying communion together. And by the way, communion's coming up in the next Sunday or two, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. There's still uh, small groups that are meeting even now, even though small groups are officially not on. People are meeting together to fellowship together, to pray together. What's going on? People are availing themselves of the grace that's available. One of the things I used to love to do when I was a young pastor is I used to love to go to a cabin. There was a cabin available to me, and I met with God on a regular basis. It was fantastic. And I really believe that because of that, I had special favor from God. I believe that I was one of God's favorites because who else was doing what I was doing? Nobody. But I was very mature then, and I've since learned... That the greatest thing that I'm going to do as a believer is to connect with other believers, to pray together and to spur one another on. So this morning, I want to ask you the question: Are you growing in your knowledge of Christ, and are you growing in grace? Because this is how you're going to be faithful. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for us. Thank you this morning, God, that your grace enables us to be faithful. We recognize, Lord, that our faithfulness is not something that we can conjure up in our own. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to work in us, transform us, and make us more like Jesus. Help us, we pray, to grow in our knowledge of Christ and in grace. We thank you, O God, that this is a work that you're doing in us. We ask now that you would give us the grace to cooperate with you and do all the things you've called us to do for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go be faithful.